This is Wyman and Bob on Seattle Sports Station. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. Streaming live on the Seattle Sports app and at seattlesports.com. Now, here are your hosts, Dave Wyman and Bob Stelton. Well, we've been talking a lot of football today, but it's time to turn our attention to the world of Major League Baseball. In order to do that, Dave, you bring in a man who knows all, sees all, and just makes everybody feel good about it, no matter what he's saying. I saw him today on TV just smiling ear to ear. It's his joy to talk baseball, and he's here with us to do so on the Emerald Queen Casino Sportsbook Hotline. He is our pal, John Morosi. How are you, man? Outstanding. This is not just any day to talk baseball this is the world baseball classic roster reveal day in fact our our show just concluded on mlb network was thrilled to be part of that today with my colleagues sierra santos and chris young so special day and uh this tournament is near and dear to my heart and i am eager to talk about all things WBC and mariners and mlb with you guys well i I heard you say this morning that the greatest greatest collection of talent you've ever seen and on an infield is is going to be in right before your eyes with the Dominican team. Is that yes. accurate? The ever. Dominican team. Yeah. And ever. that's ever. I mean, you go back, go through and look at any any all-star team and you, you consider one time, one team, one place. You've got Machado at third. Um, now at short, you have only the reigning World Series most valuable player and LCS MVP in Jeremy Pena. Your second base, you've got uh, Jose Ramirez. You could also potentially have Willie Adamas there, Wander Franco. At first base, you've got Vladimir Guerrero Jr. You've got Rafael Devers there. Uh, this is an embarrassment of riches. I, I've never seen an infield like this, I'd have to. I'm sure there have been some that we could argue and say, "Well, is this team as good?" Or, but guys, this is nothing but MVP candidates and all stars everywhere at every spot, and it's going to be a tough task. I think we had the graphic during the show that the Dominican Republic is the favorite uh, ahead of the U.S. with Japan third. Uh, I said at the very end of the show, uh, I believe Japan's going to win. I think that they're they're lineup they've got uh, obviously Otani impacting the game on both sides of the ball they've got a star pitcher in Roki Sasaki who will one day arrive to the major leagues and be a star Munitaka Murakami who set the uh, record in NPB for home runs by a Japanese born player breaking the record of the great Sadaharu Oh guys there's so much talent in this tournament oh by the way you also have probably the most talented US roster ever as well so uh I can't wait Julio Rodriguez, who already, as you know, has an Olympic medal uh, with the Dominican Republic. He'll be roaming center field with Juan Soto and Teoscar Hernandez, the the new Mariner on either side of him. So uh, I just can't wait. It's going to be so much fun, this tournament. So Luis Castillo's not playing. Uh, right. And so... How do how do how do managers sort of look at this? Because you know there was kind of a, a little hint. I mean, everybody wants their their players to go and and play in a, in a great event and the pride and everything. That's that's really cool. But also, you don't want the guy getting hurt, right? right. So you know how do how do most managers sort of deal with uh, with that part of it? No, it's a fair question, and I heard your conversation last week with Jerry Depoto about this, so I'm I'm uh, up to date on on Jerry's perspectives on it too. I, a couple things. Number one, I, I understand the the reluctance of some some teams if a player has either been injured very recently 
or if he had a tremendous workload the previous year. Um, you think back, and, and for example, Framber Valdez is not going to pitch for the Dominicans. I, I understand on some level because he pitched right to the final game of the season, and, and that's a short offseason for him based on his workload. And, and I understand that on the pitching side. On the position player side, I really do not see much of a, much of a downside to playing. It gets you, it gets you ready. More quickly, I think Derek Jeter's best ever season was a WBC year. John Carlos Stanton back in 07, he hit 59 home runs the year he played the WBC. I, I see no correlation, especially for position players, of, of guys not being ready. If anything, you're more ready, uh, and you're more prepared for the mental stress and strain of a, of a playoff atmosphere, because that's what it is in the month of March. So I, I think it's the best training possible. If, if, if a manager or a GM is concerned about a workload after somebody threw 230 innings last year, I suppose. But then again, the major league innings leader, Sandy Alcantara, is going to be the ace for the Dominican Republic. And he's ready to go and can't wait. And I, I talked to his manager, Rodney Linares, a couple weeks ago. And Rodney said that uh, Sandy already told him he's not coming out of any games, which is interesting because, of course, there's there's a pitch limit, which I'm sure at some point in time Sandy will be made aware of. But, uh, but, but Rodney was sort of smiling as he said it. He knows that too. But the point is... There's a desire to play for your country, and and baseball is a unique sport in that in many countries in the world, the national team is the ultimate. It is like the World Cup team is in soccer for us as Americans. That is that is the big team. In, in American club baseball, as we've come to understand it, you tend to be most attached to your local team. That's just the culture of how it is. But in... In Japan, uh, their national team, whom they affectionately call Samurai Japan, plays in one series or another almost every year. And so there's a constant awareness of who's being picked and how proud that team's fans are to have their player picked. And it's it's a huge deal. It's, It's becoming a greater deal in the U.S., but it's already the deal in Venezuela, in the Dominican, in Japan, in Korea, in Cuba, certainly for generations. So uh, we're catching up to it. You've got Trout on the team and Mookie Betts on the team. And uh, there's a lot of interest from superstar players. So I can't wait because this to me is the most talent we have had in the tournament, broadly speaking. And I think that we as Americans are starting to starting to view the tournament with the same seriousness that other countries are and that that to me is just a a brilliant thing john let me ask you about something dave and i were just talking about previously and that is the leadoff spot for this mariner team currently it's julio rodriguez he was that guy last year and he did a great job you love you love what he does he's arguably your best hitter problem with that him staying in that spot is that the bottom of the order is not great now if these guys bounce back and we, we saw a projected lineup that had uh seven was crawford eight was pollock nine was kelnick and then maybe at six, it's Cal, Cal Raleigh. We'll, we'll see. But, you know, you, you've got some question marks there. A couple of guys coming off down years. A guy in Kelnick who has, just hasn't proven it yet. Cal Raleigh, huge moments, but not great on base. So what it looks like is is Julio potentially coming up with the bases empty more often than you'd like to see a guy with that ability to produce. So are you on board with the idea of him remaining in that spot? Or do you think the Mariners did themselves a disservice not finding a leadoff hitter or need to develop a leadoff hitter? How do you view that? Yeah, it's a great question. And I think it's something where if we're having this conversation in two years, I would be really surprised if Julio was not 
their their cleanup hitter or three hitter or two hitter. Obviously, Judge bats second now. Um, so the, the the notion of where your best hitter bats is is evolving. I I am of the mind that that Colton Wong should bat first or second. Um, I, I he's someone that. You know, he doesn't have an ideal on-base percentage for a leadoff guy, um, but he does He does steal you a base. I think base stealing is going to be a, a greater part of the game now going forward. Um, honestly, you look at his on-base percentage, and J.P. Crawford has a higher on-base than Colton Wong did um, in in last season. My, my general statement, and, and maybe maybe we can take a step back and say perhaps the Mariners – lineup is still a work in progress and, and that maybe there's one more move that will happen at some point in time in the year to, to balance things out a little bit. Um, or, or maybe Tommy LaStella makes the club. Maybe Sam Haggerty has more everyday at-bats than we expected. Again, Haggerty is not someone that uh, necessarily has a huge on-base percentage either. But the point is that, especially if you look at game three against Houston, which I think is sort of a good barometer for to go back to and say, okay, that was when the season ended, but also that was a, a very – very illustrative time where against a good pitching staff, the Mariners just could not get any offense going. And, and yet that's the team they're going to have to eventually beat to be able to go where they want to go. And, and where I landed on that game is that by the end of it, a lot of the at-bats were looking alike. There was maybe a bit too right-handed and a bit too all or nothing for, for my liking. Uh, Now, obviously some of that might get resolved with the shift. All the numbers that we saw last season, Certainly, they apply to some degree this year, but the rules of the game are going to be different. It's going to be a way different sport in in 2023. And so I'm willing to sort of see how things play out with Wong, with Crawford. But one thing I I am sure in telling you today, that if the top four hitters are all right-handed, I don't love that. I I want there to be more balance. Uh, Now, Julio can... Last year stole thirty seven or twenty seven bases rather. That's a ton of stolen bases, twenty seven. For someone that, that I think will only get uh probably I think more uh is savvier about how he's gonna when he's gonna steal bases. Again, the rules of the game are more conducive to stealing bases now. So I, I just think that there's there has to be a real thought. Uh, you think about basketball and, and we've had, there's been a lot of basketball conversation this this week uh around our country. I want the ball in Julio's hands as often as it can be one way or the other. And whether that means putting him in a situation to steal a base, come up with people in, in scoring position, you got to optimize the lineup for him. And I just think that surrounding him with, with a veteran like Colton who can just have different kinds of at-bats, I want Colton Wong connected in some way to Julio, if, if that makes sense. Maybe mm-hmm. that's batting Colton second uh, and, and keeping Julio first, or maybe it's flipping them. But I want the two of them to – I want Colton to be able to impact Julio's at-bats with his – patience, his ability to to take a different sort of at-bat to get Julio over, that's what I want out of Colton Wong in 2023. Any uh, any worry about, I guess I worry about Julio because he's a young guy, and, you know, we keep saying that. Just because he's a young guy doesn't mean he can't be a mature guy, but just, you know, maybe he gets tired of all of the all of the the hype around him and the media requests and things like that. And he seems like such a great kid with the big smile and everything. But, man, there's a lot of people, especially since he splashed onto the onto the, the scene there at the All-Star, that was, that was a, an impressive performance in the home run derby mm-hmm. at the All-Star game. Any worry, any concern about him handling it and maybe having a little bit of a, an effect in his numbers? 
Not really. Uh, no more than anybody else. I, I think he he really he gets it. I think the the what what is involved in, in being a player of his stature. And obviously, he's already signed a lifetime contract, and, and that really hasn't changed his his preparation. He's still going to play in the WBC. Yeah, I think you saw the way that he uh, he handled himself in, in the playoffs as well. Um, he loves the game, and, and I and I think that uh, I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, but I think that was basically what Jerry said to him the moment he signed the contract was just, just keep being yourself. And that's that it's a good thing when you sign someone to a contract and you say, all I need you to do is just be you. And, and I think the Mariners, they've got a great public relations staff, as you know, um, Tim Heavily and his team. And, and I think that they'll, they'll, you know, they, they know Tim's been around the organization so long. He's been there for, for Junior and Alex and all the stars each row that they've had for, over the years. I, I think they've got a lot of really good leadership in that regard to help, help walk Julio through that process. Uh, and Kevin Martinez as well, obviously. So I, I think they've got a great team around him. Uh, but I also think that, that Julio, is is the type of superstar player who seems to draw energy from the interactions from talking with us and being in the middle of marketing and 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 doing those things it's it's fun for him i think the one thing i will tell you is just in all my years of of covering baseball for an everyday player there there comes a point where they figure it out on their own how much they can handle when they're in year three, four, five of playing 162, you know, it's it's one of the things where I I've always defended the players and the league both on both accounts of this for a long time. When when I'll be on a show and they'll say, "Well, we don't we don't know the baseball players anymore. We don't or we don't know them like we know the basketball players or the football players." And I always say, "They're there. Trust me. Like their 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 content is there." They're accessible and available more than we realize. It's just there are so many darn games. Is that like the, a big interview from Julio on Monday um, doesn't doesn't necessarily carry your show on Tuesday because the Mariners played Monday night and they got another game coming up on Tuesday. So that, that's just that's the nature of the game. And so I think that we we have to remember that that while we're asking them to be out in front of people, um, it, which is a great thing, that that there's almost only so much you can do. As a baseball player, that 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 to some extent, just to be kind to yourself, what you do on the field has to kind of speak for itself. It's I, I look at Mookie Betts. I think he's a classic superstar, incredible personality. You have to kind of ask him the right questions to get him to talk about himself because he doesn't love doing it. But he has done everything that's ever been asked for him as a superstar player. We just have to, I think, maybe tune in to, to his wavelength. I think Julio's wavelength is very out there in public, and I think that's great. Uh, and I think that it's going to be eventually up to him to sort of calibrate how much he can do once he gets you know, a little bit older in, into his years. But for now, hey, we need ambassadors to help carry the message of baseball, and I will, I'll never be someone that tells anybody that they have to dial it back. Hey, John, uh, what was your reaction to that story around Steve Cohen uh, early in the week? I guess he did an interview, and he talked about other owners are mad at him because he feels like – uh, they feel like he's making them look bad with all the money the Mets have spent and, and that you know the A's are down there with a $40 million payroll, yet their owner is worth $2.5 billion. And the same with the the uh, Orioles. They've got a billionaire owner who's spending a little over 40 on his payroll, yet they're saying it's Cohen that's making us look bad. I'm thinking he, he's functioning within the rules that are there. I mean, it's everybody, they all have the financial wherewithal, maybe not to keep up, but certainly do more than what they're doing and 
sort of blaming the angry fans on him seems to be utterly ridiculous. What what was your reaction to that? So I'll I'll say this, and I say this with with a smile and a great amount of affection. Baseball remains the most capitalistic of all of our sports in in this country because we have no salary cap, mm-hmm. and so and so the choice is the choice is up to each individual owner. And it's an economic choice like, like anybody else faces when they choose where to go out to dinner or, or where they want to go for vacation. At the end of the day, you've got a budget, and you can either spend a lot of your budget or not as much. And, and the difference, of course, is that in our private lives, no one's really scrutinizing what we're doing and the choices that we're making. But when you own a professional sports team, especially in baseball, without a salary cap, that's what you sign up for. There, there are many, many wonderful things that come, or so I'm told, with being an owner of a professional sports team. I've never done that before myself. <laughs> I, I'm sure they're but true. It seems, it seems to me to be a pretty, pretty cool thing. Um, but part of it is, is that, is that everybody knows your business. Everybody knows how much you're spending relative to the team down the street, and that, that criticism. In the great words of uh, of Charlie Manuel, who would say this about many things, and I loved interviewing Charlie back in the day, as he would say often, "That's part of it. And that's part <laughs> of it." So I I think that if if Steve is hearing criticism, uh, I suppose when you step out and and you spend way more than everybody else, you might hear some grumbling from your peers, like, "Hey, you're kind of making us look bad." And if Steve turns around and says, "Hey, uh, you have your own choice to make." That's also true. Yeah. So uh, I I have no issue with really anybody in this entire conversation. We all we all know the rules here. This is this is again. There's no salary cap or floor that's going to bail you out from a public relations standpoint. You, you are eventually um, the budget reflects your priorities and what you want to do. And if you have uh, if you're like Mike Illich was for years and years in Detroit, in Detroit Mike would spend way more than anybody thought was reasonable because he wanted to win the World Series and he he didn't really care how much of his personal fortune he tapped into. Other owners run their teams like a business. I'm not here to say what anyone should do with their money because it's not my business. But I'll, but I do believe that that uh, certainly in this case, um, when you step out and you spend like Cohen is spending, you're going to hear it. That's that's sort of part of the way that we all live in a in a society. But I, I think on the flip side. You know, these are the rules of the game and will be for the next several years through a long lockout that we went to, that we went through a year ago. Remember, a year ago this time, we we were still locked out. Mm. And uh, I I think it's important for everybody to realize that, hey, if if you wanted to change um, and make some adjustments to the way the game is is being adjudicated and the, the, the economic rules of the sport, hey, your chance was a year ago and the next one comes up in a few years. You know, voice your concerns then. But right now, we got the rules, and, and, and we all went through a lot as baseball fans waiting for those rules to be written up. And um, so, you get, now, granted, I'll, I'll make a, a point of this in, in general that's specific to the Mets. They didn't win the World Series this past year. In fact, they didn't even make it to the NLCS. So it's not as though they have it all figured out either. Mm-hmm. So I, I think it's important to remember that, that, that spending and spending and spending uh, gives you a larger margin for error, but it guarantees Nothing. Uh, it certainly, look, the Yankees have won zero championships since 2009. The, the Kansas City Royals have more championships than the Yankees since 2009. So um, that's another good rejoinder for those uh, for, for those uh, owners to keep in mind as well. Well, quickly, and you, you touched on it for a moment, but does there need to be a, a floor? 
does there need to be a minimum? Because to me, it's insulting to a fan base. It's really not fair to a fan base. If you've got an owner who's worth billions, but they're committing $40 million in total salary to their product that they're putting out on the field, to me, there's no excuse for that. Yeah, you don't have a cap, but you do have the competitive balance tax. So there, there is a punitive nature to spending that much money. Now, maybe it's not a big deal to these multi-billionaires, but at least there's some mechanism in place that might dissuade some from going crazy. But there is no floor. There isn't nothing to mandate. Yeah, you're worth $2.5 billion and you're spending $40 total million. I mean, right. me, there's no excuse for that. So, so here, here's the interesting point, and I and I understand your perspective on it. There have been on the margins some some adjustments made, at least in the realm of the the draft lottery, where where tanking is less is less rewarding of a strategy now. Like that that is that is part of it. You also have in some cases, and I'll be specific here. Washington has been up for sale. Oakland is waiting for a for a new ballpark. There are certain isolated cases where, while it's not necessarily fun for the fans of those teams, you at least understand there's something of an existential issue at play here. Um, and, and I also think that some some would say that that by being able to kind of pare down your payroll uh, and and whether it is to to have a better draft position or just trade off your veteran players to bring in younger prospects, that that is in some ways a quicker way to rebuild when done correctly, like the Astros did, for example, at least in that respect of the Astros story. The Cubs did uh, is, a, is a good example. Uh, they traded down uh, their, their payroll and eventually built it back up. When, when it's done correctly, it's a good, it, it can be a good strategy. The problem is that we have had in the sport in the last 10 years or so too many teams <laughs> – have said have said to their owners, "Hey, wait a minute! Look, we could do what the Cubs did, or we could do what the Astros did." And and the the owner says, "Wait a minute! So you're telling me that we're going to cut the payroll down significantly, and then in five years we win the World Series? Like, yeah, that's exactly right." And and everybody kind of buys into this, and like, hey, guess what? It doesn't work for everybody. In <laughs> fact, it works for almost no one else. But it's but it's there as an example to cite. And and I think that, that that is a problematic trend. And I think that, that if if you're a discerning observer of the sport, you can realize, okay, this like this has this strategy has some merit to it, but this one doesn't, and this one is just totally lost. I think that that is where we are we are going. I think fans are more sophisticated now than ever, and eventually, eventually I think that the the track record of owners and and their their GMs becomes a, a matter of public scrutiny when when they lose for too long, and that's just part of the nature of the sport. But on the flip side, one of the most enduring teams of these times has been the Rays, and how do we explain their success year after year? That's the other part of the thing that that owners say to GMs: Hey, how how come they do it every year and you guys don't? And that's that's another uh, quite entertaining and uncomfortable conversation that probably happens behind closed doors uh, across the sport. We only have time for one word from you. Who wins the Super Bowl? Eagles, Chiefs? Uh, I go with the Chiefs uh, because Patrick Mahomes, of course, he's he's a member of the baseball family, a son of a That's major right. league player. That's he's right. a part owner of the, of the Royals. So <laughs> I, I, I go with a member of the baseball family there, um, and I'll be I'll be watching. It'll, it'll be the most that I've watched the NFL all season. Probably uh, will be Sunday's game, but I'm I'm excited about it. And then, of course, 
pitchers and catchers report like the next day <laughs> wow. because of the classic. So we are we are on to the classic, my friends. As no soon as rest. that the final snap on Sunday Sunday evening. John awesome. never rests. We love it. I we know. love it. John, my pleasure, guys. We appreciate Thanks, it. Jake. We'll do it again next week. You bet. And then pretty soon we got crack and trade deadline stuff coming up. I know. I know there were some NBA <laughs> trades here in the last uh, couple of days. We got some NHL crack and trades. I can't wait to talk about that with you guys later on, too. <laughs> John, we appreciate you, man. All the best. Thank you, guys. There you Thank go, you. John, John Morosi, with us every single week. Our weekly conversations with John Morosi, who is our MLB and NHL insider, are presented by Stanford's Restaurants. And in case you missed the big news. Early in the show today, Seahawks GM John Schneider will be joining us every Thursday at 4 o'clock beginning next week and going all the way up to the Thursday of the NFL draft, which includes the first night of the draft. So stay tuned for that every Thursday at 4 o'clock starting next week. Seahawks GM John Schneider will be our guest. So that's going to be a lot of fun. Coming up, we'll continue our Mariners talk with a potential unknown for the team in 2023. That is up next with Wyman and Bob. This is Seattle Sports Station on 710. Wyman and Bob. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. On Seattle Sports Station. Once again, our thanks to John Morosi, who joined us in the previous segment, in case you guys just tuned in. Really good stuff from him every single week, and it'll be available on the podcast page after the show at seattlesports.com. I just saw this little thing on, uh, I retweeted it on, on the Twitter, Dave. Breaking, Hall of Fame quarterback Brett Favre is suing ex-NFL players and current media personalities Shannon Sharp and Pat McAfee for defamatory allegations made over the Packers legend's involvement in a $77 million welfare fraud scheme per the Daily Mail. So mm. your guy Shannon, along with Mr. Uh, Mr. Tank Top, Pat McAfee, are in his crosshairs. So he's suing them because they reported that, what, the, yeah. the malfeasance. Yeah, I guess that, he's trying to get the money right, back that he'll have to pay. Or, <laughs> well, I, we don't know about that, but I heard something about that, and... I don't know, Brett Favre, I, I, I like him, but he uh, sometimes comes off as maybe a little bit of a knucklehead, but I don't know. And then we saw our guy, Shannon Sharp, my guy, just explode at the basketball game, almost yeah. get in a fight. And then McAfee, I mean, yeah, the tank tops and the, I just, too much skin. Too much. That's what I would say. Yeah. I was, you and I were talking about, what, like the V-neck or like a t-shirt that ever, if you ever have a t-shirt that has like a saggy you know, I don't like it. I'm like, it I, doesn't I feel can't right. have it. You got to have it up around your neck. Cover up your arms. Nobody needs to see that. Yeah, your cool disco chain on like yeah. McAfee. It's uh, I don't know what that looks so, all about. So I don't know. I think we've got some some suspicious characters here. The one I can attest to the most would be Shannon Sharp because he was, he was always a good dude. A little, little bit of a loud mouth, but for the most part, a good dude. <laughs> Yeah, Brett uh, Brett Favre. I don't, I don't know how much you've read or seen on that. They did a, they did a real sports on it, so I watched that, and you know they they did a deep dive on it. And I've read a bunch of stories. It's not a good story, man. No. He's he does he comes off as a very bad guy, bad guy. So how he how he wins this suit, I'm not exactly sure. But yeah, interesting to see that uh, your your old playing playing pal shannon sharp is one of the people he seems upset with all right moving on <laughs> uh, uh this is why i'm not on twitter bob yet you come and inform me of everything that goes on yeah you don't need twitter. to be i'll just relay it to you yeah but i sometimes i'm like no i don't i don't want to know what that you're interested in right not really that's your old playing your buddy <laughs> you're not curious about that okay all right i'll i'll uh, i'll uh, edit 
and uh, just limit what I'll just. No, no, uh, it's it's my connection to to the tweeter. Yeah, <laughs> you got to you got to know some of what's happening out there. Sure. Uh, all right. So the the Mariners pitching staff was unbelievable last year. We we've talked about that a million times. That what what was particularly of interest is their ability to stay healthy. That once they set their their rotation. It didn't vary ever because of injury. Now, it changed because Luis Castillo was signed, certainly. So that, right. that changed it. And in the very, very early, early stages, they changed. Matt Brash was a starter, couldn't find his command, was walking a lot of a lot of guys. And then you bring in George Kirby, and he was ridiculously good. And everybody was healthy. Everybody made their starts. It was it was really, really uncommon and, and uh, was huge for them, to say the very least. So... You, you look at that, and we've talked about it before. Like, man, you just you can't go into a season counting on that. Somebody goes down. Somebody comes up with a a soggy arm. They call you know right. what, whatever happens. It just it's just the nature of of that position. But Jeff passing on with uh, Mike Salk and and uh, Brock talking about this and saying you know he doesn't think that that's probably going to repeat itself in terms of having a healthy starting five all season long. Yeah, but you also need to balance it out with the fact that, I'm sorry, but the Mariners pitching is not going to be as healthy this year as it was last year Mm -hmm. because it's damn near impossible to have starters throw as many innings and as many games as they did without an injury, right? Like, as much as you want to look at the positive stuff that happened over the last four months, which is a very reasonable thing to do, you also have to look at what could go wrong and factor that in. If you're looking at that 90-something percentile, you also better be looking at the 10th because it's probably going to end up somewhere in between. So if you look at uh, yeah, their five-man rotation right now, Robbie Ray, Luis Castillo, Logan Gilbert, Marco Gonzalez, George Kirby. and Logan then... Gilbert. Did you say him? Mm-hmm. Okay. And then uh, you know, so the the next the next guy in would probably be Flexen. Flexen, yeah, yeah. So I mean, at least you have that. But I don't know. Maybe they can. Maybe it's the way that they're managing their pitchers. Maybe Pete Woodworth is doing a great job with you know making sure he listens to them and you know watches them closely. But you know that I don't know. It's kind of uh, very pessimistic, but I guess it's also realistic. Yeah, it, yeah. Pessimistically, pessim. What was it, Mike, yesterday? Pessimistic, Pessimistic realism. realism. There we like go. Like me watching Purdue right now. Pessimistic realism. Yeah. On one of his 12 teams, he's got three different screens that all feature one of his 12 favorite teams. Here. Mike <laughs> always has interesting, uh, you know, sort of juxtaposition of words. And one of them is today, he said, they condone illegal activities. He was talking about the uh, Astros. <laughs> he's like, what's so weird about that? I don't know. It's just the connection yeah. of words that Mike puts together. Oddly specific. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so anyway, yeah, it's it's sort of, yeah, it's it's being real though, right? Well, yeah, I think, it, I think he's right in that, yeah, you can't just be all you know, Pollyanna, like everything's great. It was great last year. It'll be great this year. Well, you got to kind of pl- prepare for the worst. You'll hope yeah. for the best, prepare for the worst, especially when it comes to pitchers, because that is, he's right. I mean, it's just, it's almost impossible that that, that happens much less two years in a row. So you, you do sort of prepare, like, I don't know which guy it'll be, but one of these guys is going to come up with a, you know, a tired arm and we're going to have to, you know, miss a few starts and that's how it goes. Now, was he responding? It sounded like he was debating, like, whether they had done enough in the offseason to address pitching was that no i think it was more they were talking about not trading some of the pitching like marco and chris flexen 
Okay. Why they're still around. Mm, yeah. Saying, well. Oh, so he's making the case them. why you keep them. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I thought he was maybe complaining that they didn't address pitching. and. No, I think it's more of like, you can't count on that health. That's why Marco and Chris Flexen are still on the right, roster. Right. Yeah. Well, well yeah, yeah, you're right. It is. He's being pessimistic, but he's also being realistic. He, mm-hmm. It is anybody who's watched baseball and if for any amount of time, you see it. It's just what happens with pitchers in every staff and every rotation. Somebody misses starts. It's just what goes on. And they were last year was unbelievable. It just was. Yeah. Like, well, was it the year before when right away yes. James Paxton goes down and then twenty four Mar- pitches? Marco had had a bunch of different things that really slowed him down. And he whatnot. got hurt. Sheffield got hurt. Justin Dunn got hurt. Yeah. And your most consistent pitcher that year was Chris Flexen. Yeah. And he was the big surprise, right? Yeah. Just coming from the Korean Baseball League. So, yeah, I, I understand uh, being that that sort of realism. But, you know, maybe if it uh, if it happens, it's it's just here and there. And having those guys uh, there, yeah, I, I, I understand why they're not going not gonna to trade them away. I mean, it's not like they went and added, but you can add by basically not subtracting, right? By yeah. not getting rid of uh, Marco or Flexen. Yeah, it's a nice insurance policy yeah. to have without question. Well, and they're huge on pitching. They talk about it all the time. Pitching and defense, that's services mantra. You know, control the zone, but it's always about pitching and playing good defense. Well, and it's what's really been the key to their success the past two seasons yep. because they you look at where they rank offensively especially the year before last that was a bad offense I mean just it just was not very good and last year was kind of mediocre for the most part you know they were very opportunistic and came up with key moments from guys who just collectively were like Ugh, that's not that's not a great on base that's not a great slug that's but they had these huge moments that were you know, turning into wins. So they've the pitching and the defense has really been huge for this team the past two seasons, and I would imagine that won't change this year. All right, coming up, we got some new insight from a former NFL player on what a fair contract would look like for Geno Smith. We'll let you hear what he had to say. Coming up with Wyman and Bob, this is Seattle Sports Station on 710. Wyman and Bob. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. On Seattle Sports Station. You have a boat, Bob? I, I don't have a boat. Lefko, you have a boat? I do, yes. <laughs> I was humming uh-huh. along to the boat show song. Dave's in here singing show, the commercial. The boat show, yeah. His head was kind of bobbing back Every year. Why you aren't singing the other commercial? 1-800-CARS-FOR-KIDS? One one the, the one with some medicine that plays on this, this oh. station before our show. Diarrhea. Yes. <laughs> I promised he'd sing it. <laughs> I'm glad that you picked up on that. I, I just there was one day where I driving home from work, and uh, all I could hear was that little that one little word <laughs> diarrhea, and so. it stuck in my brain. And it's one of our our faithful uh, sponsors. Yeah, it just it's amazing. Um, I just picture the people the people they hired to actually sing that song in the studio and just doing take after take. Like no, no, you little. Uh, I want you to drag that out a little bit. How about <laughs> how about the person saying it? Like you know, it probably has a mom or dad come. Guess what? I got this great gig. Yeah. Let's hear it. Let's hear diarrhea, heartburn, uh, indigestion. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> or the or the Bo Show song, yeah. man. I mean, somebody's got to do it. Eight hundred yeah. cars for kids. I yeah, mean, they're probably somebody's making some, money. Some good gigs there. Good gigs. <laughs> yeah, I, I I would do it. I would do it. Well, certainly. the cars for kids, especially if you just said, "Hey, give me a nickel every time you run this." Oh, it's been running here at the station since I got here. Oh yeah, two eleven or 
2010 we or whatever. Might be able to retire by now. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be a lot of nickels, Dave. It's a lot of nickels. You'd be like Kramer. you have two big pockets <laughs> full of change. Going to buy calzones. Pay for everything <laughs> with nickels. That's the best. All right. Uh, Keyshawn Johnson was on with uh, Bump and Stacy today, and they they obviously were talking about the Geno situation and how he would handle it, how he views it. First of all, he... We played it earlier. He's stating the obvious here. The, yeah, there's always hype about quarterbacks in the draft, and we're all excited about this CJ Stroud, Will Levis, whatever. He's saying right now you got a guy who's better than all of those guys in Geno Smith. Yes, yes, he can, and you pay him the money. You may not pay him fifty million a year, but you reward him. And Geno Smith is better than any quarterback you're gonna get in college right now. Anyway, he's better than any. He's better than Bryce Young. He's better than T.J. Stroud. He's better than this Le Levitt dude that everybody from Kentucky that they just <laughs> they want to make him the the next coming of whatever. For real. Uh, he's better than him. He's better than Bryce Young. I mean, he's just better than Cooker. He's just seasoned. He's better than those guys right now. So I didn't say don't draft a quarterback. What I'm saying is he's your guy for the next two to three years. While that guy gets ready to take over. If Gino falters, what's with the Levis hate? He well, doesn't, he doesn't even say his name right. <laughs> also, didn't he call him T.J. Stroud? <laughs> yeah, yeah, he was—he's kind of all over the place. But he's that that, well, that Levitt guy who was trying to make him the second coming of whatever. <laughs> I guarantee you that was by design. You know, I mean, he's just—he's just making the point that the veteran quarterback who proved it. I don't yeah. care that it took 10 years to become a starter and have the, the dream season that he always wanted to have. He's still going to be better than these young guys. And th that's the other thing, too. It is annoying. And he's been covering ever since he retired, covering the draft. And it's it's always a little weird and maybe irritating to some people. I don't know. I guess it is to me, too, where I would mispronounce their name, that somebody climbs up the all of a sudden becomes like the hot topic. Mm -hmm. And like he said, the next coming of whatever. Um, yeah, all of a sudden you're talking about a guy that has not played a snap since the end of last season, and now all of a sudden he rockets from like the middle of the second round to the top pick in the draft. And and what what he's talking about with Gino, and, the, you know, Gino, the other thing about him, I know a lot of people worry about why he's only done it one year. Somebody was texting in earlier, and, you know, he's he's old, but, there's no sign to me that, that we saw that anything physical is wrong with him. I think physically he can do everything. It's all mm. about, you know, his his mind and playing good quarterback, making good decisions. But he's not old. I'm absolutely. <laughs> he's not confident that he can do it for the next three years. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's, he's older than these guys coming out of the draft, certainly. But he's not an old man. He's, he's, not, he's 32. He'll be 33 here soon. And you could look at his lack of playing time as a benefit on his body. He hasn't been out there getting sacked and getting planted into the turf and, you know, running and scrambling and getting hit in the knees. And, the, yeah. you know what I mean? So he's he hasn't taken that wear and tear. So, yeah, he's he's older, certainly. But the, the idea that somehow he's physically diminished based on his age, I don't I don't buy that. I, I'm not somebody who's making the case for 40 million either. You got to be fair. He's not an old man who looks like ah. He used to be fast, and now he's not fast. Or that arm looks a little yeah. weaker than it. You know, he's physically well, what he's always been. And these young guys, they'll develop and they'll they'll be good. I'm sure they'll they'll get something out of them, and it'll be down the road. Maybe they they don't work out. Maybe they're they're Wentz. Maybe uh, they're Zach Wilson. Yeah, I mean exactly. 
Yeah, there's lots of there's lots of examples. Mitchell out there. Trubisky, Sam Darnoldson. Yeah. So, but um, but Gino, I mean, if I said no, I don't want him. It would defy everything I've always said about quarterbacks, and that's that they're the only player that gets better. I mean, you know, when you get into your early to to mid, if you can avoid all of the injuries, which Brady pretty much did. He blew his knee out that one time, but mm-hmm. you know, I mean, you just get better and better as a quarterback. You get more wise. It's uh, and for him, you brought it up. Great point. I, I think that the fact that he hasn't taken the toll on his body, you know, and he's he's playing good football right now. So I, I kind of I'm I'm kind of I'm with, you know, listening to Keyshawn there, the irritation a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Uh, one more from here, just talking about what he, you know, how he sort of projects the deal for Gino. I probably would pay him thirty five million. Just because it's thirty two, you got to go over the tag. Mm-hmm. You always got to go over the tag. Remember that. Remember so that. So an average of $35 million a year, three years, what would that give you, $105 million? So there you go. You give him a three-year, 105 You give him about 60 of it fully guaranteed, 60 to 70 of it fully guaranteed, and we're going to keep it moving. So remember that, Dave. Always over the tag. I like that. I like how he said that. Uh, I'm not sure why, but maybe so he can come back and say, "Yeah, I was right." But yeah, like you mentioned it, and I said it earlier, if you combine the 105 million over three years, that's a, a salary cap total of 720 million. And I'm just throwing a number out there of you know the increase every year. It went to 228 this year. Two- Two twenty four point twenty four. Yeah, so you know it's it's still going to be not a huge part of uh, of your salary cap. It's not going to mm. eat up so much so that it prevents you from adding some really good players. I wonder if they'd ever. And I know we're up against the break, but I wonder if. And it sounds like things are headed the right way. And you know, Gino saying, "Hey, I think we'll get it done, and things are good. Everything seems positive." But if they hit an impasse, what if the Seahawks would put the franchise tag on them? Say, "All right, mm. we're, you're going to make thirty two point whatever it is whatever the tag number is and we're going to go through the scene or and that doesn't prohibit them from not you know they can still work on a deal you know they can do that keep them in seattle let's hammer out a long-term deal or a multi-year deal but i wonder if they they would ever do that because they they are very loath to use that franchise tag they don't do that yeah i would be surprised on on gino but you know if it's a good good strategy for them and whatever they're they're working out i i wouldn't be surprised but well, I mean, I guess I would be surprised. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. I, I'm wrapping up here, man. <laughs> a, on that note, we'll catch up with... You know what? We're late to break, man. Yeah, we're going to break. So erase everything that I just yeah, Strike that, reverse it. Uh, we'll catch up with Paul Moyer to talk about everything going on around the NFL. Get his take on all of this. Coming up with Wyman and Bob, this is Seattle Sports Station on 710.